All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Thursday, so that means it is time to dig deeper into the Psalms. This week, we look at Psalms 30 and 31 to see how David confesses that we need to put our lives and our entire beings into God's hand. Psalm 30 starts out with a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. Now, this brings up a couple of questions here. First of all, David was dead before the temple was even started on. So, did he write this for the dedication of the temple? Or is this for something else that they just put temple in because the literal meaning has a question mark with it? And that literal meaning being that the dedication of the house. So now, which house? Well, we go back to 2 Samuel 24, or 1 Chronicles 21. We have the time where David took a census of the Israelite men to see how many he could draft into his army, relying on human power to be able to defeat the rest of his enemies, taking his eye momentarily off of God. As a consequence of this rebellion against God, God sent a plague among Israel and 70,000 men died. So in repentance, David bought land, built an altar, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Was this the house that David is actually talking about at this dedication? That very well fits with the text of the psalm. So let's look at that. Psalm 30 verses 1 through 12. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So far, Psalm 30. <clears throat> so we have this, again, this vision of the dedication of this land, most likely, because we have that moment where God's anger is but for a moment, and in that moment of anger with David's census, 70,000 Israelites died from plague. And David admits his own sin in verse 6. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. This is very similar to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, talking about the great Babylon that he had built with his own hands. And then he spent seven years grazing like a wild ox out in the wilderness of Babylon. David doesn't have to deal with living like a wild beast, but he does have to sharply focus in on his sin and his repentance for it. Because he rejoices in the fact that God 
has brought him up out from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David very easily could have been one of those who was taken by the plague, but God spared him. God did not let the foe of disease rejoice over David. Now for the other 70,000, that was to prove the point, much like God did with Gideon and limiting his army from the many thousands to the 300 that Gideon rescued Israel with. That it's not in man's power, it's not in numbers, in military strength that the battle is won. The battle is won because the battle is fought by the Lord. Which is why David could go to Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 with just a sling and five stones and say the battle is the Lord's. And he goes on in verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And we have Paul picking up this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God had to remind David that it's not what that he sees as an army that is important, but what he knows in his heart surrounds that army, which we go to Elisha and the asking of his servant to be able to see the chariots and horsemen of God surrounding Sennacherib's army. David didn't need a vision. David knew that in his heart. And it was pricked to do that and to make this praise because of his momentary lapse in judgment and not trusting in that great might of the Lord. So we move on to Psalm 31, simply entitled uh, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. And you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame and your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is long dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. 
Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in contempt and pride. O oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. So far, Psalm 31. We have in Psalm 31, the most famous verse of it being verse 5, being Jesus' last word from the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. But let's take a look at the rest of that verse. We understand what it means for Jesus then, but what does it mean now as we take on the second half of that verse? Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus, in praying this psalm, as I'm sure he is praying the entire psalm and possibly even the entire Psalter as he is hanging on the cross, he says these words and understands that he has been redeemed, that he has been bought back, not from sin, not from anything that he has done wrong, but from your sin, from my sin, from the terrors of hell that we deserve. He has been redeemed from those because his Father, our Father as well, is a faithful God. And so He is one into whose hand we can commit our spirit and our very lives as well. Because we need that confidence. We need that ability to say, You are my God and in you I trust. Therefore I put my spirit, my entire life and existence into your hands. And then he talks about rejoicing in verses 7 and 8. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have shown, you have seen my affliction, you have known the distresses of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Why do we rejoice? Because God has seen our affliction. Even though we seem to be hidden from him, or he seems to be hiding from us, he sees our affliction. He knows the distresses of our souls. And he has not delivered us into the hand of the enemy. He knows what we need. He knows why we need it. And he knows what even is better sometimes than what we want or what we think we need. Because he is the faithful God who is looking at things from his perspective and not ours. Because he is always looking down, seeing the big picture. You and I are always looking up at a single pixel and wondering why that pixel is not lit up at this moment in the way that we would like it to be lit up. He goes on in verses 11 through 13 to explain why we need to rejoice. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. 
Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whisper of many terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Many commentators put this psalm in the time of David running from Saul. And possibly he is composing this psalm as he is sitting, hiding in a cave in the hill country, being hunted like a rabid dog by Saul and the Israelite army, the army that he had once led himself. And even when he seems to be hidden, even when he seems to be away from God, he knows that God is still there. But he has still become a reproach to his adversaries. He has become an object of dread to his acquaintances because many people don't want to deal with you when you are down and out. When the dice have not fallen in your favor, they want nothing to do with you. They only want to be around you when everything is going good. So when things turn south, they head north because up north there's more friends doing more things that are comfortable and not people who are despairing over the bad things that have happened to them. But he says, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Again, the idea of committing his spirit, his entire existence into the Lord's hands, because they're all there anyway. And there's nothing we can do about that because God has created us in the first place so that he may do with us as he pleases. And what is he pleased to do? He pleases to hear us when we call to him in faith. He pleases to hear us when we say, you are my God and you I trust. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. And then we can say, like in verse 16, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. David is pointing back to something he has heard every Sabbath for his entire life, really. And what we hear at the end of the divine service, the erotic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's that face of God shining on you, the favor of God being shown to you. Not because you have done something great, but because the great thing you have done is turn to him in faith, calling upon him as your God, asking him to save you in his great mercy. And as the Psalm ends, verses 23 and 24, love the Lord all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. That is my encouragement for you this week. To be strong, let your heart take courage and call upon the Lord in your times of need, in your times of joy, and see the great blessing of what it means to have his face shine upon you. Because when his face is shining upon you, then you are better able 
to wrestle with the theologies around you. Amen.